0: And God, we ask that you be lifted high. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, the common thread that we've seen uh, in, in the book of Mark is Jesus telling the church to stay alert. And even as God talks about the end times and the last days, the call to be awake and alert is something that's at the forefront of God's teachings about the last days and the end times. And uh, today is actually part three of our series on the end times and I was thinking about this and we've looked at the weeks past how the different ways people have tried to um, predict the last days and when that time might come and interestingly Jesus tells us nobody knows the day or the hour so every attempt at saying the day or the hour is a futile attempt but what Jesus does tell us to do is to stay awake and be alert now I've shared this story with you guys before but it so bears repeating because it's such a great story but two years ago on our first men's retreat here at the church, um, it was about 11 o'clock at night and about a dozen of us men decided to go out on a night hike. And I love telling this story in other places, in other cities when I've spoken at different conferences and because I, I need people to know something. In, in Chicago, and city folk, like us, we don't like being out in the country typically. I mean, we might enjoy it, but if you're like me, I'm a little skeptical when I'm out somewhere and there's no street lights. Like, sirens are a security blanket. Like, it's, it's weird if it's quiet. It's weird if it's dark. It's not natural. It shouldn't be that way. That's, that's the way a lot of us city folks are. And so at the men's retreat, a lot of us are thinking, hey, we're going to be courageous. This is a men's retreat. We're going to man up. We're going to go outside at night. We're going to go into a corn maze. And so about 12 of us, we, you know, we, got all, we put our man card in our pocket. And we walked out to that corn maze, and little did we know that there was a group of junior high youth from another retreat that were there, and they saw us coming, and they ran into the maze before us, and none of us saw it. And so as we come in, you know, we're strolling, we got that walk, we're just, you know, all tough about it. Walk into the corn maze, and I can just imagine how excited these kids were, man. Because they jumped out, they screamed, and all of us dropped our man cards at that moment. We re- replied with the, ah! you know high-pitched scream and, and it was just one of those things like hey if you don't tell anybody i'm not telling anybody. you know what i mean like we won't mention people's names here but you know who you are and so we walked into that corn maze and i guarantee you from the rest of the time on i mean we were like tweaking we're, we're looking around we're like do you hear that they're, they're still out there yeah you know every branch that snapped every shadow that we saw i mean we were on high alert as we walked through the rest of that corn maze because we've been spooked you know and, and, you know, what, what Jesus wants us to do is walk through this life on high alert. It, it's easy to coast. You ever go on a road trip, you know what it means to put your car in cruise control. You take your foot off the pedal, off the brake even, and if you want it, you can stick it out the window. Don't do that. But it's just, it's just cruising along. And, and sometimes when you're in cruise control, you lose focus, and, and you realize, oh, man, i got to snap out of this, you know. And, and we go through life at cruise control. And I mentioned in the first week of this mini-series that talking about the last days, looking at the prophecies of the Bible of the last days, it has a way of thawing out our cold hearts. It has a way of awaking us to the realities of eternity and the last days. And that's been my hope throughout this short series, that, that you would feel awakened. And today we're going we're gonna to take the next step into the series and look at what, what God does in terms of bringing us into the eternal state, whether it be heaven or hell. And what Jesus says is, in the book of Mark, chapter 13, and verses 28 to 37, he says that no one knows the day or the hour, but you will see when the time starts getting ripe. Like a tree that starts to bud, you know summer is on its way. And Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, you know that the end is drawing near, but you still don't know when it's coming. And he says, because of that, you have the one responsibility of keeping awake, being on guard, staying alert. Over the last few weeks, we looked at this time where Jesus comes back and takes his church into the sky. And brings us into glory with him. Those who are dead will be raised up. Those who know him, who are alive, will meet Jesus in the air. And our old self will be made new. And we talked about how some people in the church believe that happens before a time of tribulation. Some believe it happens after afterward. But we know that Jesus ultimately will take his church home. But we also know that there will be a time of great tribulation as that day draws near in our world. A time that Jesus says no one has ever experienced anything so horrible in the past and never will happen other apart from this time. This will be the worst of the worst, these seven years of great tribulation. Last week we talked about how during that time there will be a man who is an anti-Christ who Revelation calls the beast. He's an evil man who is led by Satan to lead people astray, to put people to death. And he has a false prophet, one who does miracles and signs to lead people astray and deceive them. And the only way people can begin to buy food and and trade and have things like that was if they took a mark of the beast, which John says is the number 666. Now we don't know what that mark will exactly be like, but what we know is that a time is coming where in the days that are evil, that Satan will call people to worship him or his followers. And there we will see a clear division, who are God's people and who are not, much like in our own day. And we saw in that time, there will be people who do know Jesus, who come to faith in him during this time period, who go out and tell others about Jesus. And we hear from the book of Revelation that they will die for their faith. They will be beheaded. They will be killed. And it says that they wash their robes in blood, so to speak. We know that the blood of Jesus cleanses them because they put their faith in him. And during this time of great tribulation, there's going to be war, there's going to be famines, there's going to be death. It's going to be a horrible time. And it's all going to climax when Jesus comes again, his second coming. When he comes down with the angels of heaven and Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet make an army to fight against Jesus. And this battle of Armageddon lasts only but a moment before Jesus puts down this rebellion. We see that in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire, and Jesus comes on this earth. And today we're picking up in that moment. What's going to happen at that time? What's going to take place? We find ourselves in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. That's the third to last chapter, second to last chapter of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 20. What happens when Jesus comes back and casts uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire? And as I've mentioned before, there are good, godly people who love Jesus who take different perspectives of these passages I'm looking at. And I'm going to give you what my take on it is, and I'm going to show you why. I want to give you a, a starting point, a bridge. But this is what God's word says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and following. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Say a thousand years. years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive The nations any longer until the thousand years, say thousand years, were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. I'm going to pause there and give you a landscape of where we're going to go. See, Jesus comes to this earth, puts away the Antichrist and the false prophet, and here John says that an angel comes with a chain and binds Satan and casts him into this abyss, this bottomless pit, for a thousand years. And it says after 1,000 years, he must be released for just a little while. And so as we piecemeal passages of the Bible, we see that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom here on earth for a 1,000 years. And he's going to reign on this earth while Satan is bound in this bottomless pit with a chain. Now, it's interesting because we've never known a day like this in our own world. Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5 tells us. Jesus tells us in John 10 that Satan is here to steal, kill, and destroy. Ephesians 6 tells us that we make war, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of the heavenly places. We're in a very real battle against Satan and his armies in this life. It's a spiritual war going on in a realm that we cannot see, but we know it is happening. Satan's agenda is to deceive people. But a time is coming where he'll be bound up and unable to deceive people when Jesus sets up a kingdom here on this earth. What's fascinating is what's going to take place in this kingdom. Look at verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, And had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were, were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. What John seems to be telling us here is that those who are killed for their faith within the tribulation period, at the end of it, when Jesus starts his kingdom reign, will raise them to life that they can reign with him on this earth. And then, of course, there will be also people who survived the tribulation period, who loved Jesus, who did not die, who will be reigning with Jesus as well for those thousand-year period. And so there will be a mixture of those who made it out of the tribulation and those who've been resurrected who will live on this earth for a thousand years, John seems to be telling us here. And during this time, it is those who did not get the mark of the beast who will be reigning with Jesus. We're told this is the first resurrection. And, and this is an interesting theme because I talk with, talked with us two weeks ago That at the beginning of the tribulation, Jesus will raise people from the dead. And here we're told at the end of the tribulation, he will also raise people from the dead. And some have wondered if that's the same event or if they're two different events. And I recognize that this is a difficult thing to put together. But what I understand here is that first of all, Jesus will raise his church from the dead. Amen. And second of all, it seems that the first resurrections are those who know Jesus And the second resurrection, which we're going to talk about in a moment, are those who don't know Jesus. And the second resurrection will lead to the second death, which is eternal separation from God. And so basically what I'm seeing here is that John is saying that Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years. There will be those who come out of the tribulation alive, those who are resurrected. After the tribulation will come to life with Jesus on this earth. Now imagine this. A world where Satan is bound. You can't fathom that. Imagine this, a world where Jesus is here on this earth, reigning as the perfect king. Imagine that. It's going to be amazing. The book of Isaiah told us, tells us, as was read earlier from chapter 11, during this time, Jesus will reign with justice and righteousness. The earth has never seen a king reign with perfect justice and perfect righteousness. Isaiah says, that that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is a time when Jesus will establish justice on this earth. Man, we long for justice, don't we? I mean, you read the headlines and you're just an angst over the evil and it hurts to think that so many who are practicing evil, torturing and doing heinous crimes won't face justice on this earth. But a king is coming who will be just. We're also told in the book of Isaiah, as was read earlier, that during this time, creation will begin to experience some kind of restoration where a wolf and a lamb will lie down together. We we read in Isaiah 11 that that, uh, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. There's going to be an established kind of peace, even within the created order. And as a video we just saw, creation longs for its restoration. It's It's like earth remembers the Garden of Eden. Earth remembers before the fall, for you use that language. And now, after Adam and Eve sinned and the world became broken and now there's earthquakes and famines, earth is longing for its own redemption, so to speak. And we'll get a taste of it. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2 says, The wilderness in that day and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, which is a beautiful flower. The deserts are going to bloom flowers. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, when Jesus reigns on this earth. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What Isaiah is telling us is the day is coming when Jesus reigns that what's been will begin to be reversed. God's going to begin to make things new. And of course, it's ultimately what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But when Jesus reigns on this earth, something new is going to take place as has never happened before. But there are a few things that are still kind of loose, loosened out. We've got, we got to tie them up here. Because we read earlier that Satan will be bound for a thousand years, but John says that afterward he must be released. It seems like there will be one final moment where Satan will have an opportunity according to his own thinking. And this is what we see in Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Pause there. Some of you are asking, like, wait, but who is Satan leading astray? He came out after the thousand years. He comes to this earth. But but remember, Jesus was reigning here for a thousand years what's Satan doing? And as I, as I see this and I'm doing my best to unpack what God is having for us as we think of those who come out of the tribulation period alive and live with Jesus for these thousand years they indeed will have children and their children will have children and, and because they live under the Jesus' kingdom doesn't mean they will by default be, put their faith in him. And you're thinking like seriously? How could someone live as Jesus the perfect king and not put their faith in him? Well, the same way that the perfect King was crucified on this earth, and the same way this perfect King is rejected by some of us even now, what John I think is showing us here, what the Bible shows us, is how ultimately deceptive our sinful natures indeed are. That even when we see and can look upon the perfections of Jesus and His goodness and His righteousness, that apart from faith we're rebels. I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When people tell you, follow your heart, don't listen to that. Follow Jesus. And just because people are raised and grow up under Jesus' kingdom in the future doesn't mean they will put their faith in him. Just as much as someone might grow up under Jesus' spiritual kingdom as part of the local church, doesn't mean that they are followers of him either. The way we become part of Jesus' kingdom is through faith in him. And so Satan is going to lead a rebellion in this last day. I pick up where I left off in verse 9. But fire came down from heaven and consumed The rebellion. In verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Finally, ultimately, and decisively, Satan will be done. Can't imagine what that would be like. A lot of us have felt the effects of this broken world our sinful natures of Satan's influence. Boy, I long for a day where it'll be done. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. Notice uh, John's description of the lake of fire in verse 10. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, there are some in our day who want to think that hell is a temporary place. It's a place where there is destruction, and then they cease to exist. I just don't see that in the scriptures. Because when John says, day and night, forever and ever, I believe he meant day and night, forever and ever. I think we want to, sometimes in our society, lessen hell because it seems unjust. But I think it comes from the fact that we don't understand a holy God and his justice if we would rebel against him for all our lives we will shake our fist at him until we die and for all of eternity and it's not a pleasant thing but there is a God who will be just and cast out those who rebel against him he did that for Satan he did that for the Antichrist he did that for the false prophet and there will be a day when he does that for others and that's what verse 11 tells us What John tells us is that those who have died apart from Jesus, those are the ones that death and Hades holds up. They will resurrect one day and stand in front of the judgment seat of Jesus. And at that place, the wicked will be cast out. What's hard for us sometimes is we don't understand who the wicked are. See, what Jesus says, the wicked are those who have refused to trust in him. It's not just the uber evils of the world, but it's even those who just resisted Jesus in his life. Jesus says that the time might come where many will say, Lord, Lord, when they come in his presence in that place. And Jesus says in Matthew 7:23, depart from me, I never knew you. John tells us that all of us will one day stand in front of Jesus. Those who know him, whose names are written in the book of life, will enjoy eternal life for him. And those whose names are not in the book of life will be separated and be in torment for eternal death. Yodo is a popular phrase. You only live once. But it's not true for Christians. You live twice. But you die once. Yodo you only die once but it's true we live this life when we put our faith in jesus and we die once we'll be resurrected and ultimately go to eternal life we live twice but apart from jesus we live once but then we die twice we die physical death apart from jesus and then you die an eternal death apart from jesus YOLO, it could be dangerous if we don't take eternity into account. So, what God's word does here, it puts a flame in our hearts. And it makes all of us ask, What have I got to do to get my name in the book of life? And I hope you're all asking that question. And if you don't know the answer, here it is. Jesus said, If anyone will come after me and follow me, deny themselves, they'll have eternal life. See, Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin. The thing that brings you death, Jesus took death for you. So that when he raises to life, he can give life to you. That's how our names get in the book of life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith in the Son of God. See, what God tells us is when we put our faith in Jesus and we say, Jesus, when you were on that cross, I was on that cross. and you were punished, that was my punishment. So that when you live, I can live. I believe in you. I turn from my sin. I follow you. At that point, your name is in the book of life because you've believed in the Son of God, if you follow Him. And I think that's what John is saying when he says, they'll be judged according to what they have done. And by what they have done is, have you put your faith in Him, and does what your faith have show in the life you live? See, that's how we see true faith. This is why those who came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, he says, I never knew you. They they had the actions, they had the ideas, but their faith wasn't there. And there are others who know how to profess, but their lives don't match up. The Bible says this comes together. Our faith in Jesus produces a life surrendered to him. If we say we love Jesus, yet with our lives we deny him, why are we going to love heaven then? Heaven's going to be hell for you if you don't love Jesus in the now. Because heaven is filled with the worship of him. And that's what John wants us to see here. This is why the end times teaching should light a fire within us. And this is why I've I've been at angst thinking about how we in our society have swung different pendulum sides where we talk about everything end times, putting up dates and charts and and predicting times wrongly, kind of making a stink of everything. And then people go the other side, well, let's not talk about it because nobody knows. There's a lot we don't know, but what we do know is there's a judgment day. We do know there are resurrections. We do know heaven and hell are real. We do know Jesus is our king. We do know he will reign forever. And we do know those who put their faith in him will reign with him. There's a lot we don't know, but there's plenty we do know. And we got to talk about that. So that's how we get our name in the book of life. Jesus will reign on this earth and that rain will give way into his eternal rain. It blows me away thinking about what it's going to be like. I was thinking about this week. We have never experienced a world without God. because We haven't. That's what, that's what hell is. Nor have we ever experienced a, an existence without sin. But that's what heaven is. Heaven is the presence of God with glorified bodies in his presence. I, I want to give us an understanding of, of heaven and hell as we, as we look into this. I did a series on this back in 2014, which is hard to believe it's been that long, on, on heaven and hell. Um, but there are a number of different things that, that I looked at during that series. And I'm going to give you four snapshots of what heaven is like today. We talked about hell, it's, it's eternal, it's forever, it's torment, it's separation. It's not going out having a party and a beer with your friends and all, for hell. That, that's not hell. Hell is hatred. Hell is horrible. And actually, the, oftentimes the way we talk about hell lessens the impact. But really, hell is an awful place. And just as awful as hell is, heaven is equally, if not more so, glorious. The first thing I want us to see, the first snapshot, is heaven will give way to the new heavens and the new earth. See, what the Bible teaches is when we die in this life, Paul says in Philippians 2, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We go to heaven for those who put their faith in Jesus, whose names are in the book of life, who've repented, turned from their sins, and believe Jesus died for them. When you die, you'll be with Jesus in heaven. But that heaven is not the eternal heaven because there's going to be a new heaven, scriptures tells us. That heaven is a temporary kind of heaven that gives way to something new for eternity. And that's what John talks about here in Revelation 21. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, behold, get this guys, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. We will dwell in the presence of God. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will will be with them as their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And that word son doesn't include daughters, of course. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and yes, even liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, what what John is saying here is these things, among others, are what separate us from God. But these are the things that God's grace covers when we repent and put our faith in him. See, there will be people who were once cowards and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers, idolaters and liars in heaven because they've put their faith in Jesus to forgive them and they've chosen to live for him. And there will be others in this list who have refused Jesus and will be separated for all of eternity. Verse 22, he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So the first thing we saw is that the current heaven will give way to the new heavens and a new earth. And before I move on from this point, I forgot to mention. Think of it. It's going to be a new earth. Our eternal existence as followers of Jesus... It's not some ghostly existence. You're not going to become a phantom. As I mentioned before, you're not going to be Casper, the friendly ghost. It's going to be a realer existence than what you even know right now. You've never experienced a glorified body. You know, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist here in Chicago in the, early, or in the late 19th century, he said, one day you will read on the headlines, Moody is dead, he said, but don't believe it. Because at that moment, I will be more alive than I've ever been. See, that's what eternity is like. An existence that we've never experienced. It's real and tangible in our glorified life with Jesus and in the eternal suffering in hell. It's real. So first snapshot is the the heavens will give way to the new heavens and the new earth. And the second one is that the glory and majesty of God is the focal point of heaven. See, everything in heaven revolves around God. The worship of him will be on people's lips. People will declare worthy is the lamb who was slain, giving God all the glory. And that's why I said if living for God and worshiping him in this life is of no delight, then heaven won't be heaven. Now, I'm going to talk in a moment about asking God and uh, asking Him to show you how to delight in Him, how to delight in worshiping Him in this life as we follow Him. But will worshiping Him be heavenly? For some say, you know, worship is boring. I I don't like it. But hear what God's got to say about His presence. Psalm 1611, in your presence there's fullness of joy. Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's more there. Or Psalm 84, for a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, the Bible tells us God's presence is unlike anything we've ever known. It is a joyous time of great satisfaction and pleasure. In heaven, God is the focal point. The third snapshot is that the presence of God and the glories of heaven will evoke worship. What will then lead us, it'll lead us to worshiping him. We're going to go about in heaven, and, and I don't have time to unpack this, but it's a new heaven and a new earth, and earth is big, and I believe the new earth is a place of exploration, a place where you can go places. You can enjoy things you didn't enjoy in this life. I'm going to the Caribbean in the new, he- new earth. I'm going to Hawaii finally, all right? and again I don't have time to unpack this but, but just, just bear with me for the moment if God is the creator of all good things will heaven be absent of all good things so there's going to be coffee in heaven I'm certain of it right? or, or, or it's equivalent but, but in all honesty obviously the presence of God is the greatest and the greatest but there's going to be delights through the presence of God in all of our existence for eternity See, God, God is a glorious God, and we're going to be amazed at him. The fourth snapshot is that the memory of Jesus' death will intensify our worship. You know, there's all these different stories of people who go to heaven and come back to earth, and, and I'll, I'll admit to you, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a, quite the skeptic of these stories, because a lot of them talk about no memory of death in, in heaven. And, but if we're going to look upon the lamb who was slain, we have to remember his death. We're going to look upon him and to come back to this earth would be awful at the presence of God. And in his presence, we're going to be there. Remember what Jesus has done in dying on our behalf. And we're going to be there celebrating the lamb who was slain. This is what heaven will be like. So when we think about the end times, when we think about Jesus' kingdom and his eternal reign, and the hopes of heavens and the horrors of hell. We've come to grips, we've got to come to grips with our own identity and where we are at. If you are a child of God today, and you've let your heart grow cold about eternity, and you find yourself living for this life, and not even realizing that eternity is one breath away, my hope and prayer is that God will begin to thaw out the cold and calloused heart, the apathy that comes along sometimes, We think, oh, God hasn't come back yet. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to truly YOLO, you know. I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to invest this life. But there is another life. So that you are a child of God, my prayer is that God would awaken, awaken you up. As Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. We might not know the exact details down to a T, but Jesus says, be alert. Be awake. Be ready. Jesus also says to the thirsty, let them drink of the spring of water without payment. I know there's some of us here who are thirsting in our souls. Perhaps you've experienced suffering recently. Perhaps you've experienced loss. Those expectations you've longed for just aren't coming through. And everything in life just is not delivering and you're just longing for more. Man, Jesus will satisfy your greatest needs and thirsts as we surrender to him. And even in the brokenness of this world, there is glory that awaits God's children where we will be satisfied always and never long again. And still there's another response. There are some here perhaps who, in your hearts, you're rebelling against God you are pushing him away and you're hearing the truths and, and you don't want it because you know you gotta let go of things. You, you gotta let go of some things that, that maybe you've gotten used to, relationships, addictions. And, but what God wants you to say, who will you follow? Who will you bow down to? In Philippians 2, Paul says that, that Jesus came as God in the form of man and he went to the cross And through his victory over death, it says that the Father resurrects him and exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's not a matter of whether or not you will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's the circumstances by which you will do it. You will do so gladly and rejoicing in this life, or you will do so kicking and screaming as you are separated into hell. One thing is for sure, Jesus is Lord, and all of us will acknowledge that one day. And so my prayer is that today you would not resist, that you would say, I'm going to live for you now, Jesus. I'm going to give you my life. Really, that's how we prepare for eternity now. It starts with surrendering to him, confessing our sin to him, and begin that life of worship to him, because that's what you'll be doing for all of eternity if you're God's child. End times prophecy is water to the thirsty and a warning to the rebel. That's what God wants us to leave with today. He wants us to see that the end will come and he knows the details and in the meantime, we're called to be alert. As I close this mini-series and I close this message, I want us to rise to our feet. I want to read from Revelation 22. Would you stand with me, please? Revelation 22, verse 6. This is how the Bible ends. This is how Revelation ends. And, And this really is the climax of eternity here. It says this. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And then Jesus says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me uh, them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets. With those uh, who keep the words of the book, but worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. And then Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes So that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life. That they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Those are outside of the heavenly gates. And then Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then this, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride, which is the church, they say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And then, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father God, we say indeed, come, Lord Jesus. God, so long as there's breath in each of our lungs... I pray that we would understand this life to be precious. That we would invest every day to please you, to enjoy you, to live for you. God, I pray that we would invest every moment to tell others about you, God. God, I pray, Lord, that there are any who are here today who have been keeping you at arm's length, any who have been straddling the fence between following you and following themselves. God, I ask that you would cause them to surrender their lives today, Lord. For others of us who are broken and hurting, who need a drink from your wells, God, would you nourish our souls. We bring these all before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayer team, would you come forward as we sing this final song? church family if you've got a prayer need or burden that comes from this message or if you just brought it with you this week related to something different our prayer leaders are here in the front of the room they're in the back corners of the room we want to come to this God who invites us into his presence through prayer and through worship so let's sing to him as a exp- uh, expression of our love and let's cry out to him as an expression of our need so let's sing and pray together Ha <laughs>